podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good evening and welcome to Sugar and Silk, featuring myself, Ben Doughty. And me, Michael Olajide Jr., the Silk. He's the Sugar. In conjunction with Ace Podcast Nation. Um, I've got to tell you, Michael, straight away, by the way, I didn't see the video. Last week I saw this video, this kind of thing unfolding. There, I just had to guess, 12 seconds and we're in. If, if this is getting drowned out by some extended montage, then I apologise for that. But we're going to start straight away anyway. It's been confirmed. It wasn't confirmed last time we spoke, this time last week, Michael, but it has since been confirmed, as people strongly suspected, that Tyson Fury's next defence of his WBC heavyweight championship will be against Derek Chisora on December the 3rd at Tottenham Hotspur. A man he's already beaten twice back in 2014, and I think the first time he beat him was 2011, if memory serves, thereabouts. Um, the resounding response in boxing circles, at least, has been... What is the point? Um, how are you feeling it across the water? I don't even know if it's been mentioned on this side of the pond, tell you mm. the truth. But um, like you have to really have your ear close to the ground in order to, you know, the bar, should I say, the ear close to the canvas in order to hear anything about uh, Tyson Fury's next opponent. Get such, such very little news about it. And I, it doesn't really excite me. Uh, I'm, but I'm not, I can't say I'm the biggest follower of heavyweight boxing right now anyway, either. I think that has a lot to do with it. How popular or, or famous is Tyson Fury in the United States, at least on the East Coast, as far as you're concerned? You know, when fighters are fighting, they have a fight coming up, there's always some sort of buzz. There's always some sort of like conversation, um, either in work. I remember being in school when I was a kid. I remember talking in the playground about Ali and Foreman. And when I was an adult and I was actually a fighter, I remember talking about Tyson and Holyfield, all the rest of that kind of stuff. I haven't had any conversations on uh, Tyson Fury that would make me think of it as that kind of happening as it was back in those days. Like when they, when you were fighting for a heavyweight title or any kind of world title and you're fighting famous, two famous, um, very, uh, you know, guys with great ability are fighting one another, you talk, it's talked about. And unfortunately, that's not what happens today in boxing and especially heavyweight boxing. Um, a little later in the show, we are going to talk and contrast the old era that, that you remember and started in compared yeah. to... The, the, the millennial situation that we that we inhabit yeah. now. But um, see, can I ask you, who do you think um, is the genuine heavyweight champion of the world? Do you subscribe to the Fury um, supremacy idea based on the fact that he is the lineal champion, supposedly, or, or perhaps even the fact that he holds a belt, which some people afford more kind of prestige to that particular brand? Or do you go along with the, with the Alexander Usyk's claim, you know, um, holding three quarters at least of the hard way. Uh-huh. See, that's kind of difficult because, I mean, Fury is in your face. And when Fury wins, it's talked about and it's an exciting fight he had with, you know, Deontay. with Deontay Wilder. So, I mean, that stays in the forefront of your mind. So you're saying, oh, yeah, he must be champion. And the other side of it, you see Alessandra Usyk, who fought brilliantly in two fights against, uh, you know, a really, you know, tough, strong. Anthony was everything we were looking for in a heavyweight champ. So I can't say it's 50-50 either way on any given day. But uh, who do I like myself personally? I like Usyk myself. I like his skills. I like his ability. Uh, I like what he stands for as an individual. He does everything right. He doesn't play games with his boxing. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have seemed out of place in, in what we might call the golden era, would he, Usyk? Say again, sorry? He wouldn't have seemed out of place necessarily in the golden era, Alexander yeah. Usyk. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. I think he's a... Well, here's a guy, he's of great ability. So he's not... Tyson Fury has ability as well, but he doesn't seem to me to be able to get over on his skills. Like those skills, if he took those and put it against the golden area heavy, golden area heavyweights 
or, or in the 80s with heavyweights, I, I don't think he stands out. I really don't. You I, know, Montel Griffin, who, who's always opinionated. Yeah. He's a fun guy and he's a good guy. And I'm I, let's be in touch with him. But An amazing he, fight. But he tends to argue in stark black and white. And what Montel says, we'll get him on one week, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. But he, what he says is, ain't no way that you don't. He says, don't go with your heart. He says, ain't no way a man, you know, who's six foot, you know, only 220 pounds and six foot three can beat a man who's six foot nine, who's as coordinated and as athletic as Fury is. He like says that nobody in history beats Fury just because he's so goddamn big and he, and so relatively skilled. And, and you, I can see you're laughing already. So yeah. you're probably not you know, What, what does size have to do with it, Ben? I mean, we've had like amb the ambling ab Alp, the Ambling yeah. Alp, you know what I mean? We've had huge guys fighting before. In fact, the recent one, uh, the the Russian was massive, even bigger. Valuev, Valuev, who lost to David Hay in the in a punch that they threw about thirty punches between them in twelve rounds. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. Like it's it's all about ability, and it's all about the the ability to land. You know, be able to punch a guy in the face. This is what. Fighters like Tyson, like Holyfield, like um, uh, Joe Frazier, like George Foreman, like Muhammad Ali, they've all just cultivated their skills in order to do that. And they're intelligent fighters. They're not just guys going out there swinging and it's it's a, like a barroom bar room brawl where, of course, at that point, you would say, yeah, well, the big guy is always going to win. But not in, the, not in the case of somebody with skills. Skills will always outdo the physical as long as the, the skilled individual is a master of, of his skill. Absolutely. Skills beat size or, or strength every single time. So, okay. Um, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. We've established that nobody is particularly... I mean, I imagine the Chisora fights will sell out or it will resemble a sellout on the night one way or another. And, and I know people... <laughs> People will buy into the build-up, okay, because things will happen. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, a lot, a lot of casual fans in this country say today, they say, oh, yeah, but the build-up will be great, though. Like, yeah. that really matters. And they tune into IFL TV, a massively popular <laughs> platform over here, and yeah. to an extent across the pond. And they, they hold the IFL TV thing, they, they came up in that era when Eddie Hearn was coming up and becoming as powerful and ubiquitous as he was also. And they kind of fed off each other. And it was, it was like an organic happening where this is the new era and it's all about flipping tables and it's all about the mandatory shoving yeah. and putting, you know, stuff that Joseph Dobrian, your friend of mine, former Ring Magazine contributor, <laughs> regards as this bizarre homo shit, as he calls it. When he sees fighters right up in each other's faces, nose yeah. to nose and handbags and all that, he's like, yeah. what on earth were Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano made of this homo shit? Yeah, That's yeah, what he yeah. wants to know. But in any case, that is what has happened these days. And Chisora has benefited hugely from that because he generally seems a little bit badly wired in the head in, in the most lovable of ways. And because he's spat water at Vladimir Klitschko and slapped Vitaly Klitschko across the face and he threw a table at Dylan White and Mark Tibbs, yeah. he is box office and he's continued to make money when he's lost at least half of his last several fights and over yeah. the last five or six years yeah. but because he always gives value for money and because the build-up, those guys who say, oh, but the build-up will be great. And you know what Fury's like, and we already know in terms of charisma and yeah. this kind of almost, you know, this bipolar fucking stream of consciousness that Fury yeah. comes out with, which some people mm -hmm. find very, you know, compulsively entertaining. What you will have is a fight sold on that basis, even though we already know how the movie ends, because we've seen it a couple of times and, you know, already over the years. Yeah. And I fail to see how Chisora is going to be in any better position to unseat Fury um, eight years after he got one-sidedly battered by him at the end of 2014. Yeah. But the, the point being is they will still sell it on the basis that that's how we sell fights these days. Um, do you feel that's gone too far to an extent? Because I don't, I mean, Ali ushered in... I guess the, the the seeds of this kind of approach to to marketing a fight, but it does feel like it's become dominant now. The, the uh, yeah, I mean, controversy sells; it always has. Um, I think one of the things that we have not been able to do in boxing, we haven't been able to educate the people on what they should be looking for when going into a fight. So it's always the sensationalism that sells, but. Yeah. If you take American football or American basketball and you've been able to see 
if you're able to see how the skill has improved over time, like from, from basketball in the 60s all the way through to the 80s and to current day, you'll see this evolution of the sport that's happened in football, basketball, soccer, all sports. Boxing is the one sport where you don't see that. It's very, it's very rare that you see it. If you see it, you'll see it in like one particular fighter. And I don't know if it's just because he's yes. from all the other guys. You know uh, You've moved you've moved us seamlessly into the thing that which you particularly wanted to discuss this weekend. And I do stress it's been a quiet weekend for boxing current affairs, yeah. which is why which is why I know that you were interested in isolating a topic that we could uh, we could explore on here. Uh, but when you say that, Michael, I think this is the problem for me. When people talk about how bo some people have got this knee jerk default philosophy that boxing not it's not a philosophy. It's just a, it's just a maxim. It's just a belief, a belief system that boxing has improved because everything else has. They say nothing. Nigel Ben, because listen, this is the thing, Michael. Just because someone's boxed at a high level doesn't mean they don't talk utter utter nonsense sometimes about the switch phones. You, you don't, of course, because you are highly intelligent and you and you have a take on things. Which is kind of singular, and and it, and it's always cerebral, and thought is always part of the process. You don't do you don't do belief systems, and you don't do cliches, okay? But yes. Nigel Ben would just say, "No, no, everything goes forward, nothing goes back," you know, <laughs> and that's just that sounds logical when you look at track athletics, and you mentioned some American popular sports there. But the thing is. For me, they've never got any boxing-based arguments to back up that perception. They'll yeah. just talk about Roger Bannister and the four-minute mile and, and, yeah. you know, and Linford Christie yeah. and all the rest of it. Now, the thing is, uh, you know, my thing is, my party pieces, I always bust out the um, KO magazine pound-for-pound -pound ratings in about April 1981, yeah. and you've got 10 absolute killers in it, all-time all yes. greats. Yes. About eight of whom have got a genuine claim to perhaps being the greatest who ever lived in their particular weight division or yeah. one of the weight divisions they competed in. You know, yeah. guys like Alexis Arguello, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, Wilfredo Gomez, yes. Jeff Chandler, Marvin Hagler, Roberto yeah. Duran, yeah. Uh, Salvador Sanchez, and so on and so yeah. on and so on. And and when you look at today's, you'll see some good fighters today, some really good high elite yes. fighters. But you mm -hmm. don't, but they don't seem to measure up to that. So you'd be like, well. If they had evolved, surely 40 years later, they should be on a different stratosphere to those guys, not mm -hmm. not somewhat clearly embarrassed by the comparison. And the other thing, uh, by the way, is that um, I've suddenly forgotten what I was going to say, which is very unusual for me. Um, talking about that, the fact that's that... My, that's my thing. What you... Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. one's had his memory erased. <laughs> when you've got... So first of all, they can't back it up based on the fighters. That, that's what I was going to say, the point that you raised. So, now, the point I would make is you were right, because in that instance that I isolated of 1981, that is across the board. The depth yeah. of talent was across the board. Never even mind the guys who didn't rank in the top 10 pound for pound or the top dozen. And the, and even the contenders in that era, including guys like Michael Elijah Jr. for a start. But, um, yeah, um, check him out sometime. Um but in any case, um, you say today, sometimes people will argue, no, but we have standouts today like Lomachenko and Floyd Mayweather Jr. and et cetera, et cetera. But you just said that we have exceptions. They are the exceptions. You say you will isolate a couple of guys, you'll say is truly, truly special. Yeah. But they don't have that depth of talent across the board in this era compared to what we've seen yes. 30, 40 and 50 years ago. Absolutely. And I believe you have certain beliefs about why that might be. Yeah, well, I, I mean... I think the focus today, like everything in our world, in this dimension we live in right now, the focus is on the money. And when the focus is on the money, there'll never be uh, the true intent, the passion, the love. Now, at the same time, I know that, like, for instance, if a fight were going to happen and the, and the fighter were being interviewed in the 70s or 80s, for instance, and they asked the fighter, well, is a fight going to happen between you and Marvin Hagler, as you say? And the fighter who's asking, who's being asked the question will say, well, you know, I don't want to talk about the money end of it. Or I don't want to talk about the business end of it. My manager or promoter is going to take care of it. I just go ahead and fight. And that is more or less the same comfort. That's the same thing every single fighter says across the board. They defer to their manager or trainer or promoter, and that's the end of it. that's the end of it. I just get ready, no matter who it is, even yeah. Muhammad Ali, whoever it is, they all just get ready. You never heard Ali talk about money, did you? You never heard never. Ali. So, I mean, all right, no, he did say 
the only time I ever heard Ali literally ever talk about money was when he they said, why is I here? And he said, because they came up with $10 million, $5 million for me, $5 yeah. million for George Foreman. Yeah. But that was the only time I ever heard him allude to any figures, quite honestly. Yeah. And and I would have to say, I believe there was probably more money on the table than that. And Ali didn't get all he was supposed to. But that's another story. <laughs> well, see, this is the thing, Michael, because people blame Floyd Mayweather. People either blame or congratulate Floyd Mayweather for this blueprint and the situation we've got now in, two th in the 2020s, depending on their perspective. Some mm -hmm. people say that you're saying that fighters are more deferential then and perhaps even commercially dumber. And, yeah. and they said, OK, we, we just wanted the glory. It was man like Sugar Leonard once said to me, Mano, Mano, you against me. Um, whereas, and, and perhaps they might end up, you know, broke and diminished and all the rest of it. Whereas the argument in favour of Floyd Mayweather these days is he made more fighters aware of their own value and Absolutely. how to market themselves and how Absolutely. to how to utilise the principles yeah. of risk and reward to their in their favour at yes. all costs. Yeah. And you could say, people could say that Floyd Mayweather will never be as great as Sugar Ray Robinson if he lives to be, you know, a thousand yeah. and two. But what they could also say is he'll never end up blind, you know, he'll never end up broke and diminished yes. in um, a one-room bedroom, a one-bedroom apartment in Riverside Drive in Harlem with nothing to show for his amazing career into triple figures. That's Absolutely. The, well, at the same time, you have to also say that um, I don't know Floyd Mayweather's living style and everything, but once you start to make money at the levels he made, you have to continue to make money at that level if you want to yeah. stay at that level. So what happens in the future, whether he has to, he has real estate and all the rest of that kind of stuff, he's going to have to sell off. It's not something, that kind of money isn't something you can just sit on. That kind of money is something you have to do something with. So I know he has the Floyd Mayweather boxing gyms and stuff like that, and he's doing that, but whether that's enough, I don't know. I, I, you know, he, he's also got a strip club called Girl Collection, which I... Oh, then he's going to do great, no problem. Just, do you think that sounds a little misogynistic, girl collection? Like they're kind of being objectified there? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a question. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was kind of... Objectification, really 100%, yes. Scraping the barrel for some kind of cheap controversy. My my former middleweight contender denounces Floyd Mayweather as misogynist. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh, um, man, don't say that. I okay. have the ire of all of Mayweather family on me. Do, do you like my implication? By all means, have a strip club, but at least call it something more respectful to the to the, yeah, to the yeah. talent. Don't yeah, make them sit like objects. These are, these are um, strippers. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Yeah, objectification. I don't know. But in any case, um, it's interesting you say that because you talk about what Floyd does afterwards and you talk about how that when you have that kind of wealth, you have to maintain it. And it's something yes. you, 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 you know, you have to stay up there and how do you yeah, do that? With the money you're losing it. That's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting as well, because some people would argue Floyd Mayweather had the most perfectly orchestrated career in boxing history. Yeah. You could also argue right now on the evidence so far that he's also having the most perfectly orchestrated post career where he is still able to get huge telephone number sums yeah, of money absolutely. Absolutely. for fighting guys who, who couldn't stand up in a five mile an hour wind and, and, and no threat to him whatsoever right i mean he, he's, he's doing that well <laughs> i love that that was a good that was good um yeah, yeah so i mean Hey, bless him for having the ability to be able to do it. What he did on the way up allows him the success he has now. Yeah. So um, he, he made sacrifices no other fighters or great many fighters weren't doing. Um, he prepared himself impeccably to be in the best shape ever. He trained as hard as any other fighter ever has. He was consistent, obviously consistent and very serious about what he did. And, you know, whether you like this personality or not, as a professional, he was impeccable, absolutely impeccable. Yeah. His fight style, you know, you, a lot of people may have problems with it. I don't think it was – I think it, his style, he benefited more off the name of boxing than boxing benefited off the name of Mayweather. I do believe that. Um because people, when they say, oh, there's going to be a fight between Mayweather and Pacquiao, everyone thinks it's going to be a great fight because it's Mayweather and Pacquiao, but uh, because of all the great super fights that have gone on before, Sugar Ray Duran, Muhammad Ali Fraser, whatever, Tyson Holyfield. Leonard all Leonard. these things are great 
entertaining fights that really grabbed you by the heart and you're seeing something of uh, that you're not going to see the level of skill and the, and the level of violence and the fact that these two guys are willing to risk every single brain cell you know in their head yeah. in order to win the fight but then the bell rings that's not how Mayweather fights so he's Mayweather's also getting a lot from boxing in the past in that you know Gaddy and Ward they, these guys just like eviscerated one another you know what i mean just, yeah. just went at each other and, and people thinking it's going to be that but they don't know that it's you know floyd's skill of course is amazing i wouldn't expect him to do that it would be absolutely ludicrous yeah. for him to put those to put his ability uh, you know to, to dumb down his ability to fight you know slug it slug it out with a guy but still you he still benefit from the actions of fighters before him you know what I mean? People go in there and they hear guys talking to each other like that. They think it's going to be a full-scale war. and just. But no, Floyd's going to sit there and do the same thing when the bell rings. You, you, you said previously, you've said he was one of the few fighters in history who led with his defence. You said yes. defence is very important, it's crucial, yes. and, it, and it needs to be incorporated and, and it's, a, it's a foundation. Yes. But you said you've never really seen a fighter to the same extent who actually led with his defence. Yeah, I've never seen that before. That's what's so unique about him. And that's why it was so very hard to defeat him because the first couple of rounds, the guy's trying to score. Yeah. And if a, if, a, if a fighter of great talent doesn't want to get hit, you're not going to hit him. I don't care what offense you have. If, if a man that talented just goes in the ring with the, with the intent not to be hit, I don't care who you are. You're not going to hit that individual. Because when you throw punches, you expose yourself to the, to the possibility of being tagged by punches, right? Exactly. You know, uh, uh, Buddy McGirt said, I believe it was Buddy McGirt who said to Antonio Tava about Roy Jones, mm -hmm. he can't punch so fast that he can block punches and throw punches at the same time. Exactly. That, yeah. Which is why Floyd Mayweather, especially in his later years, what you might call his relative dotage, when he was still mm -hmm. very, very dominant, and very efficient fighting machine as a welterweight into his 40s. Yeah. Obviously, he became more conservative with his punch output the later yeah. he got in his career, uh -huh. partly because he had bad hands and was being careful with them, of course, and pacing himself, but partly, like you just said, because if, you don't, if you're absolutely obsessed with avoiding damage and not getting hit, yeah. then you can box defensively. And, and the thing that you need to ensure is you don't throw a lot of punches, but yeah. that you throw punches accurately enough and often enough to win the rounds, right? Which is yeah. why you wouldn't see Floyd putting together Meldrick Taylor type combinations later in his yeah. career. Yeah, yeah, because once you stay there, plant your feet, and let punches go, at some point it's coming back at you. The, the I tell the fighters that I train right now is like, as soon as you punch, be aware something's coming back at you because nobody just gets hit and then and then doesn't punch back. The intent of boxing, the only intent of boxing is to hit you with this or this. So um, you almost, when you hit somebody, you almost pretty much, you're reminding them to punch back at you, basically, you know. Yeah. So, um, so this is the thing. I mean, regardless of what Floyd Mayweather's legacy might be, and I suspect it will only get enhanced as the years go on, because it doesn't matter however many people criticize you in your day, um, people, history yeah. tends to be kinder to you the more time elapses. And there yeah. could even be a time when people are saying, it's a shame there's nobody around like Mayweather anymore. These guys today are just such, you know, pay limitations of that and, and all the rest of it. And they don't want to fight anybody, etc. But um, talking about the Floyd Mayweather legacy, and we speak about, you know, in the 80s, bigger fights were easier to be made. You know, you saw fights like Leonard Hearns. When you, when you saw Tommy Hearns and Ray Leonard both uh, yeah, holding really. versions of the welterweight title, and you saw them at each other's fights, and you saw the press yeah. asking, and the crowd chanting for the fight when mm -hmm. one guy was in the ring and another guy was at ringside, and mm -hmm. you'd see Leonard answering questions, kind yes. of fending off questions about why he would or wouldn't fight Tommy Hearns. Mm -hmm. There was something back then called public demand, and you knew it was going to be effective. You knew that yes. the newspapers would use phrases like, there's too much money for it not to happen. Whereas, you know, that that axiom does not apply anymore. It mm -hmm. may force a fight eventually, like you said with the Mayweather-Pacquiao situation. There seems to be this blueprint now, Michael, to sit on a fight for as long as possible, to wait till you have no longer no longer have any commercial options like Amir Khan yes. and Kel Brook over here yeah. and then milk that fight and milk the uh, 
the increasingly gullible audience yeah. at the point at which you're so old and, and so mm. ready to turn it in that you think, yeah. okay, now let's do it now as a testimonial, as a swan song. Whereas well, I that's didn't the think point the purpose of a promoter, right? That's the point and purpose of a promoter. Their purpose is to promote the fight. And if they get an angle on it, I mean, that's the only thing that matters. It's not about, it's not about the, um, the abilities. They don't base a fight on the abilities of the fighter. They base, a fight, they base the fight on the ability to sell. And so if there's controversy involved, if, if we're talking about, you know, two fighters for any reason other than their real fight ability, that, that fight is going to sell. And, you know, this was a thing with Conor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr., which was supposed to take place on October the 8th, but obviously mm -hmm. fell through because of the, the adverse finding in Conor, Conor Ben's A sample, yes. which we spoke about on our first show last week. You know, it was there were so many people, the white-collar boxing promotion I'm involved with, with a lot of the people there, a lot of them have never even heard of Roberto Duran. They were like, oh, I'm so gutted this fight's not happening. And it's a bit like, you know, you said about we should try to educate. And I remember yeah. Joseph Dobrian too said about people who didn't like boxing, they tended to dislike boxing for the same reasons they disliked ballet because they didn't have the right information about it. And he said, if you gave them the right information about it, they'd love it. Well, if you educated the audience and you gave them the right information about it, they wouldn't be champing at the bit for Conor Ben versus Chris Eubank Jr., which was a bit of a wild card silly fight anyway. Yeah. They'd be looking at really tasteful, decent, d deep matchups. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But that's yeah. not the situation we have now. And it feels as if the audience has got progressively less savvy as things have gone on. Yeah. And the promotion, you know, like you say, has, has dominated the situation to the point where as long as they have that angle, that's all yeah. they need. And, and they know what the only trouble is in this era as well, when you get a fight that's supposed to be boxing porn, like everybody was uh, losing their minds, no, not everybody, but hardcore were losing their minds over Guillermo Rigondillo and Vesel Lomachenko, that turned out to be a real damp squib. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Sometimes, like I know when the Ben Connor Ben fight didn't happen, I didn't. Uh, it's not like all of a sudden I'm hearing you know vacant sounds. It's not like it's not like all of a sudden my evening was destroyed and I was sad about about the fight that didn't happen. I was absolutely you know cool with the fact that it didn't happen. But how did you feel with it? Like, the, because I know it was bigger in England than it was yeah. here. By the way, Natalie, sorry, Natalie's in the background, by the way. Could you go on your Facebook and tell me the questions people are asking? Because John Doyle asked the question, and it's too small on my phone with my eyes. Even, John Doyle asked the question, fighters that probably didn't know all, uh, probably didn't know all they're worth. However, a lot of fighters today think they're worth more than what they are. That, that is a very valid point that John raised, by the way, there. The, 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 this inflated sense of value that fighters have. And they do. I'll give you an example. I want to talk about something else while I go, while I go on it, too. But how did I feel about the fight being cancelled? To be honest, Michael, I was up for it. It, I, I, it was a curio to me. I was curious yeah. to see what would happen. I was yeah. more interested in that than I've well, been in. This is fathers. No, to be honest, I, I couldn't give a fuck about that, to be honest with you, because yeah. I, I know that that's got nothing to do with the fight of the sons. I know we've never seen a son of a world champion who is, who is as good or as better than his dad, with the possible exception of Corey Spinks. Other than that, that phenomenon yeah. has not happened. So I knew yeah. that I know that to be the case in this instance. I was just more interested in it than I was in Conor Ben versus some of the some of the fringe world class aging like welterweights he'd faced previously and blown away there's now suspicion of course on why why he blew them away as efficiently as he did when he didn't seem to have that kind of firepower or kind of sparkiness when he first started you know but um but no i was i what can i say i was a little bit uh, i wasn't disappointed that'd be too strong a word i was up for the fight but to be honest with you as soon as i heard about the failed drug test and as soon as i got wind of some of the machinations here and there I suddenly had already decided if it was on, if, if, if the fight survived like they were hoping it would do, then I wasn't going to pay for it anymore. I'd already decided that. So that was that really. And what I hope doesn't happen, I hope there's not some kind of plaster sainting thing that goes on here, you know, and we don't know, we don't seem to know, considering it's in the public interest, when the uh, any hearing is due, when any decision will be made. You know, when that B sample will be tested, I've heard Eddie Hearn say he wants their chem chemists or, you know, pharmaceutical experts to be present when it gets opened as well, which seems a little odd to me that you bring your own guys when you surely you should entrust that to the anti-doping association that you uh, have used to 
do the testing. But you know what? I hope I hope there isn't just some kind of sanitization used damage kind of damage limitation well, brush under the carpet goes on. You know what's going to happen. The same thing's going to happen. It's you know what I mean. They're going to come up with a story, and um, alternative truths being the word of the of the I guess the decade. Um, you know. That's what's going to happen. They're going to try to whitewash it, and the promoter's going to do his thing. That's what he gets paid for. He's promoter, put a different spin on it, all of us, that kind of stuff. But we know better, and you just have to hold on. Here's one of the things we have to do as boxing fans. As, as a fan of boxing, we have to be able to turn off what we don't like and what we can't stand. Like, I'm not going to pay money. for. I know it hurts sometimes, you know what I mean? You see an alternative to what you want to see or whatever, but instead of being fed and eating what's fed you, why not just wait and say, you know what, I don't like this. This isn't, I mean, all, all is fair. I, I believe anything, you know, going, promoters have a certain amount of power, fighters have a certain amount of power, but the person who watches the fight has the unlimited power because exactly. without the dollar, without that dollar of the person watching, without that person, without you and I and all the other people that love boxing talking about that fight, that fight's not going to make sense. And this is the thing, Michael, with all the people who've, who've uh, pilloried the Fury, Chisora, third, what most people see as pointless matchup. Yeah. Um, what they need to do, those people, is they need to vote with their feet and they need to have the courage of their convictions and they need to not provide any commercial audience for that for that fight. Absolutely. Otherwise, they're obviously not realising the power they've, they, they have. As you but just but here's the thing, though, Ben. They don't understand that this fight isn't a significant fight. All they do, all they know is these guys are fighting and, you know, general, the general audience, these guys are fighting and these guys are talking all sorts of smack to one another. So it must be a significant fight. Oh, my God, I've got to see it. And they'll probably not really play down the fact that that um, that they fought twice before and that uh, Fury beat them both. I think what's Fury doing it for? He wants is it easy money? Probably. Somebody asked me a question, by the way, for Fury. Yeah. I mean, the thing is. People said with Fury, he talks a big game about how he wants, you know, legacy defining fights sometimes. The thing is, Fury says one thing one minute and one thing the next. That's that's beyond well established. He's he's a child of whim in that sense, you know. But mm -hmm. um but the thing is people um somebody asked me a question. Somebody said, Has someone ever as a as a fighter ever had two shots at the World Heavyweight Championship 10 years apart. Unsuccessful shots, that would be. Taking George Foreman out of the equation, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a challenger, ever challenged twice, 10 years apart, you know, having lost his foot. And I I can't think of anybody, actually, okay. by the by. I'm not saying that disqualifies Chisora on any kind of logical grounds. It doesn't. And you know what? Chisora's coming off a respectable win against... What was that guy's name? Pulev? Um Yeah. Um, he's coming off a, a respectable win against a world-class heavyweight. I do think it does call into question how much choice a fighter should have over it because I don't I don't believe that Chisora was ranked in the WBC top 10 before this, although he may have been, or perhaps he only needs to be in the, in the top 15. I, I do lose, I must be honest with you, I lose track of the different rulings of the different bodies sometimes because I don't really care. Yeah. But um, you could argue that Fury shouldn't have so much selection in who he fights. You know what I mean? He, he, he was kind of dangling a carrot in front of Anthony Joshua but saying, but if you don't sign by 12 o'clock on Monday, then you can forget about it. You know, you're lucky to, you're lucky to I, get... I think one of the things Fury's been able to do, I think he's been able to disarm the uh, WBCs, WBAs, and all the rest of that kind of stuff because he's more or less stated the fact through his actions that it doesn't matter whether you endorse me or not, I'm going to fight on TV and it's going to work. And I'm yeah. going to... You know, so he's been able to do the thing that fight fans should be able to do. You know what I mean? Like, divorce yourself from it. Just say, listen, I'm not going to, you know, Tyson Fury, no matter who he's going to fight, it could be for no fight, not for no title at all. And he'll be absolutely fine fighting and, and making great money for that. They were When they were talking about taking his British license away, which they did, but, but I think this was merely a threat at this point uh, of taking his license away back in around about 2015. And he said, I wouldn't care anyway, I'd just get an Irish license, which he absolutely would have done, you know, and that wouldn't have been a problem. Obviously, you got this sense that he was able to come back after that hiatus with problems with, he had a failed drug test too. He also had self-confessed problems with uh, depression, drinking, and, and he tested positive for cocaine also, 
which is frowned upon, although not performance enhancing. But um, he um, was able to come back from all of that, announcing himself as a lineal champion. People still uphold that claim. On some parts of Cloud Cuckoo Land, people will have you believe that those fights against that midget called Safari and the guy called Pianetta, and even fights against the likes of Otto Wallin were, were defences of this World Heavyweight Championship that he won and had not managed to forfeit since he beat uh, Vladimir Klitschko back in 2015 in, in Dusseldorf. But that's, that, I, I think that is a nonsense. And that is why I sided with Anthony Joshua's argument, because he did what he had to do in Fury's absence while Fury was on the sidelines. The trouble with that argument is that Fury is better than Joshua. Now you've got Usyk who's deposed Joshua. The argument... Oh, wait, you, think, you think Fury is better than Joshua? For sure. Absolutely. With really that question... You, do you doubt that? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I don't think That's he's interesting. So you 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 would have picked Joshua had had, had that fight been made? If Joshua and and yeah, absolutely. If Josh, Joshua and Fury happened, I would have went with Joshua for sure. You'd have got good odds on that silk. I suspect you're not a gambling <laughs> man, but um Saj Ali said that people who are hinting that Chisora might actually win, uh, social media is awash with people who are hinting that Chisora might actually win. But, I mean, you're always going to get that, right? I don't see that anywhere, Saj. Saj Ali always has a, a, a very singular take on things. I think he tunes into a radio station that none of the rest of us can pick up. <laughs> I have not seen anybody suggesting Chisora will win, but... Maybe you go to different bars than me, Saj, on the internet. Well, I don't know. He did, he did also say right here, Fury holds a certain cloud as a result of the lineal champion claim. Yeah, and that's for sure. True. That's true, but I don't think the casual understands that. I mean, unless he says yeah, but they it. Pick, yeah, but they pick up on words like that, Michael. They, the trouble is they pick up on that kind of nonsense. Same way they all have a green belt. Like, you think people that don't read boxing magazines and they'll go to boxing – yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll uh, definitely like all this kind of stuff. Do you think they pick up on the lineal champion? Yeah, they'll spout that crap. They'll hear it on IFL TV. Trust me, they will hear Eddie Hearn say it. They won't hear Eddie Hearn say it because he doesn't have that fighter. They'll hear Frank Warren say it. They listen. They're all tuning into these silly videos now. Trust me, um, they they will hear it on those platforms, Fight Hub TV, well, and all. Well, the that's the thing with social media. You can now anybody can be king. Anybody yeah. can be opinionated, and if it agrees with your opinion, whether it's right or not it's seen as a fact or a truth. That's unfortunate. But I do think that, yes, I do believe that Anthony Joshua absolutely could beat Fury even now. I mean, the fact that he said, I want to take this fight and let's make it happen. Uh, Fury said, let's make it happen. You have a month to make it happen or whatever it was. I, I was like, wow. I, I was shocked because I didn't think Fury would go that way. I think it would be a great fight. I think it definitely was a fight that boxing needed and should have had. It came apart for reasons I have no idea. But, but, but you uh, you say that, but the guy's coming off two losses. For for a start, I definitely if it, it ever does happen, two losses against Usyk. Usyk is not is so. That's the fight we need. That's the fight boxing needed to good. see. That's the that is the fight boxing needed to see. Not AJ. I'm not saying it would have been unwatchable, but that was the fight that the essential fight in the public interest. Not not Joshua. Surely. Joshua and not Joshua and Fury. Yeah. Usyk and Fury. Oh, Usyk and Fury. Yeah, I mean that would have been I, that wouldn't have been as good a fight though as Fury and uh, maybe not maybe Fury not. and Joshua. It wouldn't have been as as entertaining a fight as uh, I mean. I think that fight was a perfect fight for the heavyweights right now. I think it okay. was because yeah, have... it does prove stars make fights. And you're going to learn so much more from boxing from seeing that. Uh, you know, Usyk and Fury, is that an entertaining fight? No. Is the buildup for it interesting? Probably not. Um, is, is, I, would I favor uh, Usyk or Fury? I think it's a really close fight. I don't, again, I, when you have somebody with the skills of Usyk, I don't think size plays that big of a difference. And, and, um, and is, is, Fury's power, that no, it's not. It's not he, all he can bang when he digs his heels into the canvas, but he's not a huge puncher who digs his toes yeah, into the canvas. I mean, puncher. Yeah, he's got the loose wrists and that doesn't help. I mean, yeah. I think just the, I think just the, his size, yes, the weight of his punches. So even an arm punch is gonna hurt when you're 280 pounds or 70 pounds. Sure. You know what I mean? But but um, but when a fighter is hopped up and when you have the adrenaline going and you're executing it the way in which Usyk goes. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's a very difficult fight for Fury to win. I think it's yeah. a very difficult fight for Fury to win. And I also think that just styles being what they are and the size of of uh, Anthony Joshua isn't so isn't such a big you know disparity between him and Fury. And 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 Joshua throws really clean straight punches. And guess what? People think that Fury is this defensive wizard, but he isn't. He's just big and awkward and he gets his hands yeah, yeah. in the way. And and it isn't a clean defense and it isn't a clean offense either. So guys who are inexperienced don't know what the hell they're looking at when Fury comes at them. Yeah, I, I think Joshua would just be a different story. I, 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 it would be hard for me to see Fury winning that fight. It well, that's very interesting that because he would be he would be a, a you know a, a considerable bet in favour, and I imagine the, um, the the preponderance of pundits if I, if I, if we were to conduct any sort of poll. Would pick Fury, but the fact that you, um, the fact that you have that position is interesting because if the fight does unfold at any point in 2023, we mm -hmm. can come back to that. I, I, I agree with you, a various things you said that Fury doesn't necessarily, you know, have a, a clean defense or a clean offense. He's not a defensive wizard. I mean, I got some silly, silly sod ask me, and when I say this, this guy trains fighters himself and actually worked with the guy that. That, that used to train Tyson Fury. And he was saying to me, do you think Fury's the closest thing to Ali? And I, and, and I just said, why are you even asking me that question? You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know. Yeah. But, so I agree with you, but but I do think Fury's got too many ways to beat Anthony Joshua, quite honestly. And I think the thing with Fury is he might not look especially remarkable, but he is highly effective. He holds one hell of a shot. He's got a fighting man's heart. You'd have to nail him to the floor to beat him. He can move. He can. He can throw. He's busy if he wants to be busy. He can throw. I think all those things, Ben. I think all those things are irrelevant. I tell you what, I do think that uh, that that Fury does have is the one thing that's most potent about him that is the deciding factor in all his fights is the fact that he is he's unpredictable. Yeah. The fact that he's unpredictable means you can't prepare for him. You don't know what's coming. Because he boxed Southpaw as well. He can box Orthodox or Southpaw. Well, Southpaw, I don't know how much that really plays. Like, if for, for <clears throat> excuse me, for successful fighters, guys that have been up in the world level, all the rest of that kind of stuff, Orthodox Southpaw, it's either your left hand or your right hand coming at you. You know what I mean? So after a while, you, you've you got a good sense of that. If you, if you put the brakes on yourself because somebody comes at you with their right hand instead of their left, that's your thing. That's your mental thing that you need to get over. I agree. His head is in the same place as the other guys. To be honest, I, I, I agree with you on that as well. Purely from doing a bit of boxing myself. Yeah. Yeah, the head's in the same place. And and if you're a counterpuncher, maybe you'll have a little bit more success than you would if you were, you know, the aggressor. I, I don't know, but I don't think it's that much uh, of a big deal. We give it more than we give it more than that. But what Fury is, is he's he's an uh his timing is just so strange. Like even when he initiates the punch. And we're used to a punch coming from, like, the punch originates here in the core and in the body. And when the body starts moving, then the punch starts going. Yeah. But but what, what Fury does is he'll, his body starts moving and the punch is delayed. It comes afterwards. Now, that timing is really strange. I know, like, Buster Drayton used to throw, Buster Drayton Jr. middleweight, he used to throw this overhand right. And he would move his body, like, like I don't know if you can see me here. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, go on. Try, try, let's try and get a demo. Yeah, so he would, um, he would, he would be here like this. I see. I'll get this hand. Yeah, and he would throw the punch, and then the arcing punch would come over after it, like he'd already and, thrown the shoulder. And then, yeah, yes, he's already thrown the shoulder, so that already tells your body that the punch is yeah. coming. The it's like a faint. Yeah, and so, and so, because the set, the punch is a delayed, is like a delayed, it's a second behind the body. So, all of a sudden, you think you moved out of the way, and you haven't. Bam! You got hit, and you're like, "Whoa, what's this?" Well, I've you, never you seen know, that before. We had a guy called Mark Kayler in Britain who, who, who was a, Mark, In fact, that was the fight he knocked him out with that overhand right. And uh, and you know what? It was a, he was just a tough American opponent, as far as Mickey Duff and Mike Barrett and Terry Dawless and the rest of them were concerned. This yeah. is see, this is the point, Michael, and this is quite a good way by way of a wrap for this episode is that in those, in that era, that was the kind of tough non-title fight that a British, a reigning British champion 
took. You know, it was on the yes. undercard of James Bonkers yeah. Smith upsetting yeah. Frank Bruno too. Yeah. Now today, I woke up this morning to the news that some kid who's 15 and 0 had won the IBO World fucking there's the inverted commas by the way light heavyweight championship in Germany against somebody that most people have never heard of outside of his own immediate family and class alumni at high school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he won a world title and somebody and some people might dislike me for this and I'm not going to be explicit I'm not going to name names but if they're watching this some people might be might think he's talking about us wanker but regardless it's not about that it's nothing personal but it's just ridiculous when particularly when they call it the world title like there isn't already a bunch of others that exist as well all of them you know at least Mm -hmm. four of them more credible than the one you're referring to in those days in these days a guy that has not even got anywhere near Mark Kaler's level goes to Germany and comes back calling himself a world champion and the local papers in his area or you know in his country of birth start writing him up as a world champion that's what they actually do this is supposed yeah. to be responsible journalism in Mark Kaler's era which was May 13th this particular fight 1984 on a Sunday at Royal uh, I believe Wembley Stadium um he um you know he has to fight a tough um, what was thought was a Philadelphia club fighter called Buster Drayton, who, ap- who put him down five times and absolutely slaughtered him. Yeah. Because that, Michael, as far as I understand it, was the real world. That was the real world. I mean, perhaps it was a silly piece of matchmaking, and perhaps they shouldn't have done it. But it yeah. was. There was a, but there was an ability in that reality, was there not? Yeah, there, um, in in Buster Buster's ability or Mark Keller's. No, I'm I'm saying that there was a nobility in that kind of realness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he was willing to do whatever he had to do. Mark did do whatever he had to do in order to get... I think think that fight helped open up uh, a a U.S. and American uh, audience to him, right? That's kind of what they wanted to do in taking that fight. I believe it was on NBC Saturday afternoon, maybe Sunday. Yeah, and do you remember when uh, Tony Simpson got derailed by Dangerous Don Lee as well? Yes. Former opponents. This is what I'm talking about, Michael. Sibbo would have been a world champion today. He'd have been maybe two weights. Absolutely. He'd have all this, but he wouldn't be any better fighter than he actually was. He would just be more celebrated and decorated and, and in plastic today, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I think definitely the, the journeys a fighter takes, his wins and losses, colors his ability. And, and you know, you'll fight certain fighters and you'll think, okay, well, now I have to, I have to learn some new skills to get, uh, so I don't know, whether, whether he was a great fighter in the past, whether he's a great fighter in the future, I'm not sure what, which way we're going with this, but I do know Tony Simpson is absolutely today would be a world champion and would be, you know, I don't know. He would be somebody to contend with. He would absolutely. He was a fighter who had great heart, great ability. He had punching power. He had all those things, but he came along. And unfortunately, when Marvin Hagler was kind of like standing at the gate. Had a stranglehold over all you guys. Um, Everybody. I mean, there there wasn't anybody. I mean, guys, he knocked out real tough characters. In the seventies, never mind the eighties. You know, what pre-title, I mean? pre-title run was was a was a, a murderer's row for Marvin Hagler. Um, Saj Ali asked in wrapping up, which current fighters came to mind as likely world champions in bygone eras? All of them. Well, <laughs> there's too many of them to to, to go through it now. That's not wrapping up. That's another show. But, um, <laughs> it's a whole other show. But you know, the lightweight division is so packed with talent. I, I mean, I. I I, I love that division right now. And stars do make fights. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Saj. But, uh, you know, the, the, it was, uh, I think it was Shakur Stevenson the other day saying it'd be great if they could have a Super 6 at lightweight, you know, and, and, and get those guys together like Garcia, Tank mm-hmm. Davis, Lomachenko, Devin Haney, uh, mm-hmm. Shakur Stevenson himself, you know, and it would be, there's got to be a way, you know what, it, 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 by way of uh, wrapping up, Michael, Barry Hearn, who managed... Chris Eubank Sr. through his legendary run, as it were, as WBO super middleweight champion when he was fighting every eight weeks on Sky TV. And some of his opponents left a little bit to, desi- be, to be desired. And some of them even pushed him a little closer than they were supposed to, even though he wasn't being matched as, as you know, suicidally as, as he could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barry Hearn said, you know, we don't have a right to watch a man kill himself every eight weeks. He said, as a viewer in public, we do not have that right. He said, some days it's an ordinary day at work and some days it's a special day at work, but with special days come special payments. And that's true. You can't, you can't be having this kind of super six type model 
all of the time. Even if, even if we manage to see these kind of reforms that we would like to see and see certain fights that are going begging right now, including the Spence Crawford situation, even mm. if we were given a degree of, of um, satisfaction in that regard, which we feel perhaps we're not getting now as fight fans collectively, we must accept that there has to be days when, you know, you have less testing assignments. You know, that's that's for the sake of longevity, right? You know, um, well, The thing is, Ben, I do believe boxing can do better. Boxing can do so much better to, to like, up their sport, like, to... to yeah. To, to when the heavyweight champion was the heavyweight champion and middleweight, lightweight, all the rest of those things, when you said you're a world champion that really had substance behind it, back any time back from like, I mean, I guess even in the 90s, but it started to get a little convoluted in the 90s, but definitely from the 80s on back, when you said world champion, people immediately came to you with respect. It was massive, yeah. It was because yeah. it... It was what it, what it said it was, you know, and, and that's the trouble when you it's, it's not it doesn't take, a you know, um, a genius to figure out if you flooded the entire market with diamonds to the point yeah. where two a penny, yeah, on sales, then they would lose their kind of exclusive value, wouldn't they? And it's the same thing yeah. with titles. I, I read an article in Ring Magazine, like a satirical piece uh, around about 1984, um, and they were complaining about the advent of the super middleweight division and the fact that the IBF had come around as well. And they were saying, this is ridiculous, where will it all end? And they did this satirical piece set in the 21st century, and it kind of read not too dissimilar to the situation we have now, but they were they thought they were exaggerating for the sake yeah. of a joke to drive a point home. But to be honest, it was it was pretty much um, professorial, really. To be, um, yeah, yeah. I got to ask you, man. What's a trope? Is that like a gnome kind of creature? It's a gnomish creature. What 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 is a what? Sorry. A trope? Did you say a trope? That's a that's like a key word over here in America now. I thought you said trope. No, no, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. And um, I was going yeah. to ask you what it meant. I'm, I'm like, I'm still trying to find out what trope what, means. What word did I say that sounded like trope? I don't know, man. It wasn't nope, because that rhymes, but it does yeah. sound. It does I, don't sound know. I don't know. We'll okay. have to get to linguistics next week. But um, <laughs> we need, you know, we need uh, those little words down at the bottom of the thing. So. Absolutely. Um, do you know what? I, I have a, um, a call with Mike Ayala scheduled at 10 because we're, oh, we're working right. on the book the el torito biography yeah, yeah i love that torito was el torito was amazing his brother was amazing too so the whole ayala family did you were, know do you know mike do you know I him? Do not, no i've seen him fight i don't i have never met him no because he, he lived on the east coast for a bit and he was managed by dennis rapaport but i think when he was in that situation it was still a little bit early for you and, yeah. and your kind of heyday in new york which probably explains why you guys didn't cross paths yeah. but i meant to um to ask you about that nonetheless i'm glad that our paths have crossed at least uh virtually in the way they have done these last several years this yeah. has been episode two we're going to keep building this we will at some point take over the world in this particular context just with little baby steps michael i thank baby you once step. again for your singular input wit and wisdom and charisma thank you salt and pepper forever sure <laughs> exactly yeah we'll have to work <laughs> on the name but yeah for sure no doubt okay <laughs> sugar and silk out Sports Social Podcast Network.